I'm Nana. And I'm Bunkio, and this is African.American. This is a show about African immigrants and children of African immigrants living in the United States. If you can see my face, fine, that's fine. One day we'll get the tagline smooth. Uh, this is smooth, <laughs> bye. <laughs> okay, let me stop being silly. <laughs> we have a special guest with us. Uh, we'll be talking all about COVID-19, some of the myths regarding the vaccine and things we could do to take proper precautions and stay healthier as this rumbles on. So we have Dr. K with us. Hi, Dr. K. Hello, hello. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Let's start. Let's get right into it. Can you talk a little bit about your work in public health and within the Black community concerning COVID-19? Sure. So I would say I don't have any specific roles right now in public health. You know, my my job is is I work as a primary care doctor. So, of course, public health is always affecting everything that I do. Um, but I don't have necessarily like any specific roles in that. And then in terms of my work in the Black community um, right now, most of my patients are uh, majority African-American and then uh, less so um, white um, and Latino, where I work currently. Um, So it's on the forefront of my mind constantly um, just trying to educate my patients, uh, make sure that they stay safe and get good care. That's um, basically my day-to-day work. Um, And that can look like different things. um, And I'm learning about the ways that that can change. So, you know, I think when I first set out to be a doctor, my work was mainly, or my goals were really just, you know, working with an individual, with my patient, making sure that they, their sense of humanity was maintained and that they got, mm. that they got the best care. Um, and as I've, I see, as I've worked in the field, I've learned that you can't really do that without being an advocate. And so that can look like being just an advocate within the system that you're working. So sometimes um, you realize that systems are basically designed to have a specific outcome. And if you've noticed, or if you've paid attention, the outcome for the black community um, Mm -hmm. and for people of color, Latinos, Native Americans, the outcome is consistently uh, worse morbidity, worse mortality, right? Mm -hmm. So you do have to question that. What is the system, right? It's, of course, individual decisions by each physician, each person that's involved in that person's care, but mm-hmm. then also just overall the the system itself, how is it designed? And so my work now, I think, is transitioning just to start questioning, okay, what is the system that we built or mm. has been built? And of course, like that applies to everything in the U.S., right? So yeah. every system in the U.S. was built on racism, right? Same for healthcare. So, of course, that can look like different things. The work that I do right now, of course, is still like at the clinic, but trying to build better patterns in my day-to-day practice, build better patterns with my colleagues, giving feedback to my colleagues if I think there may have been something off with a patient's care, and then just also trying to improve the policies within the organization that I work. And so in the pandemic, that was very difficult, right, because 
that especially at the beginning there was really a low access to testing mm-hmm. and so who ended up getting access how was that decision made right or um you know of course people were put in like crazy situations that in the during the pandemic where ICU beds were were not sufficient and there were algorithms created that basically helped make a decision for a doctor who would stay on a ventilator who wouldn't it actually favored less black and brown people being offered that care right or being offered that sustained uh, life support and thankfully those type of scenarios are not as common you know at least not in this area but Mm -hmm. you do have to ask why is it that 75 percent of the deaths in Washington, D.C. are African-American. So Mm -hmm. um, I think we like we're kind of like personally, I'm at a stage. And also, I think overall in the healthcare community, we're we're also at a crossroads of reckoning and just realize if you didn't notice it before, you should notice it now that there's a huge disparity and we really have to pay attention and make changes. So that's kind of where where I'm at currently in terms of like working in the black community and where I see myself. How have you navigated through the stigma around kind of COVID infections in certain communities, certain communities and folks in certain communities are less likely, at least that we've heard, to acknowledge or share their positive test results? How how have you kind of navigated through that? Is that true? How have you counseled your patients through that? I know someone who... Uh, who said she got she 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 has COVID, but she said, oh, she has forgotten it because she left the window open. I'm like, no, maybe it's the <laughs> events that you went to on mass. Um, so <laughs> that part is sticky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really frustrating because it affects every aspect of life, right? And for for people that kind of deny it or say. Or or may keep their diagnosis in secret. I mean, eventually it will come out, right? So like I've definitely had scenarios where my you know my patient and their whole family is sick because they had one visitor. This visitor didn't know that they were sick, right? They but that was the only person that visited them, you know. And then of course later everyone is diagnosed, and you know grandfather is on a ventilator. So. I, I mean, like, until some, for some people, until it affects you personally in a negative way, you don't take it seriously. And that's hard to, you can't, you can't force it on anybody, but you just have to cons- be consistently reminding people that you can carry it, even if you're asymptomatic, yeah. and that it will spiral out of control before you have, you, you can do anything about it. So just act as if you have it so that might help with the stigma is just realizing like you can carry it and not even know it so if you do know it please tell people but even if you don't you know whether you know you have COVID or not just act as if you do and consistently protect the people that you care about or even if you don't care about them (laughs) (laughs) protect yourself (laughs) (laughs) I've even heard stories of folks who have been asymptomatic, gotten COVID, but were asymptomatic, having kind of adverse effects after. Some people, you know, 
get it. They don't get any symptoms. They think they're fine. They walk around and then they go and do some scans and then they notice that, you know, lungs have deteriorated, things have deteriorated. Can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, has that been accurate? Because a lot of times you read things and you're, I find myself questioning quite a bit um, mm. when it comes to this virus. Yeah, so so at least most times when you have long-term um, effects of COVID, you started off with some symptoms. Mm-hmm. So it's rare to have any long-term um, effects from the virus without starting off with some type of severe illness. But the people, you know, the the long-term of like main symptoms that people have kind of ongoing are like body aches, fatigue, and shortness of breath. So like mm-hmm. ongoing breathing issues. But usually they did start off with a severe illness. There are some strange cases, you know, um, where there are psychotic effects. What are psychotic effects? Like, they will have, like, you don't realize they're sick, and then they're just presenting with, like, an acute psychosis, like, complete change in behavior, complete change in mental status, Mm -hmm. and it turns out that it was probably coronavirus-associated or encephalitis, so, like, just kind of memory loss, brain fog. That's all they had, and turns out that the only thing we can kind of pinpoint was that they tested positive for COVID, even though they didn't have any other symptoms. So that, I mean, those are like more case reports, but, you know, I think at this point, it does feel like coronavirus could do anything. Yeah. (laughs) But usually most cases, like if you did have, you do have long-term effects of it, you did start off with an acute illness of some sort. And most of the time, it's like either ongoing breathing issues or the body aches or fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I've been hearing, there are certain things you can do in your day-to-day routine. You could add to your day-to-day routine to kind of minimize the probability of you getting it, like walking and all of that stuff. One of the main things I've been very worried about, <laughs> I don't, I read this. <laughs> You see, see Dr. K's face. One of the Where did you read it? I, I, I read this when when um, on Facebook page or <laughs> Instagram, um, Washington Post. Nowadays, they all one and the same. Um, anyway, oh, <laughs> fake news. One of my biggest concerns has been kind of walking around and other people walking and wanting to get fresh air. You know, sometimes you, so I try to go very early in the morning and there'll be somebody walking around and because right now, like I just take out my mask and I put it on, although they're not very close by. Is there a high probability that, you know, if you're walking around the same circle as somebody else, although you're not close together, is there a probability that you may get it from, you may get COVID from that? Unlikely, like if you're just walking down the street and someone um, doesn't have a mask on and you walk past them, the likelihood of exposure is very low. Yeah. So main, so the main um, like consistent um, types of, of exposure to COVID seems to be like when you're in the same space with somebody for more than 10 minutes. Mm. So areas where there's less circulation, um, you know, that also puts you more at risk. So just walking down the street, I mean, it is like, I think it's con- it's a considerate thing to do to wear a mask when you're passing somebody. And of course, if you're exposed to someone's droplets, then um, that also puts you at risk. So if somebody, you know, hope, you know, happens to sneeze or cough when they cross, you know, cross your path, of course, that would be awful. But yeah. the droplets, 
exposure, um, aside from like being in the same space for whoop debate, I'm not sure if it's 10, we, we're not sure if it's 10 to 15 minutes yeah. or the droplet exposure, um, yeah. then those, those would be the concerns. But just so, walking on the street, you know, you should definitely still get fresh air. What about if the people passing by you are like on bikes or running, doing something a little bit more high impact than you are? Is that different from people walking by? I'm sorry for these like nitty gritty questions, but that's something that I see quite a bit. You know, the runners, the bikers. Yeah, Yeah, is quite a droplet? I don't know. I just stay home, so. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, so even even like a a biker, a runner, like the the amount of time that they're actually crossing your path is pretty quick. Um, yeah. Of course, they are breathing heavy. So breathing heavy is there is more likelihood of if they were had coronavirus, the heavy breathing um, in close contact with you um, is is riskier. But still, the possibility is still pretty low. Just like unless they're like in really close proximity to you running. Okay. So, so joggers, like it's a good practice if you're not gonna wear a mask to be running six feet from other people for that reason. One thing that I've heard also now, at least in the DMV area, has been we should double our masks um, because of the... I think this morning I woke up and (laughs) I saw that we have... Maryland has its first case of the South African strain. They found the first case here. And they're saying that we should double our masks and, you know... And I've seen that a lot of people, for the most part, have been doing that. How effect, truly effective is that from preventing us from potentially getting it? So, I mean, we do know that even like the surgical cloth masks are, they're not, of course, they're not 100% effective for preventing um, you getting it, coronavirus. But um, if two people are wearing the mask, then yes, that the possibility of transmission is very, very low. Um, wearing two masks, it is reasonable. Honestly, the science is kind of out whether wearing two surgical masks versus one mm. is going to make a big difference. Um, currently, like where I work, we still only wear one surgical mask, but then wear um, a shield, a face shield, if you're going to be in close contact with somebody. So instead, like if, if you are going to be in a circumstance where you're not maintaining six feet social distancing from people mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, then a mask and then a face shield would actually be a better combo. So the face shield catches droplets and then the surgical mask um, is that extra layer. Yeah, I've seen people who work at like at the Costco or Trader Joe's with the, the face shields, face shield with the face shield mask combo. So I can say... Very interesting. The folks here, at least I haven't been to Trader Joe's um, recently, but the folks at Costco do not have a shield on over here. Oh, it's not everyone at mine. I just see. Uh, I just see some folks. Some, you know, some people who are more, I don't know, about it. I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) I'm like, yes, lady. I totally understand that. (laughs) Everyone has their different problems. I would say, like the 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 face shield without a mask is not helpful um you're still giving you're still creating a high possibility that if you have covid you're going to spread it to other people 
but I do see like some work settings like at some supermarkets they have like a barrier plastic. yes yes yeah and fast food know. places Popeye's yeah. has I know yeah. <laughs> Popeyes, <laughs> I thought you weren't buying food from outside, but you can be going Popeyes. I I I have ventured oh, out a few times, oh, and Popeyes is one of the places yeah. where I've ventured out to. <laughs> the chicken sandwich, I know. Yeah. Give me a three piece. <laughs> you know, Doctor K. I'm sure you're about to tell her that like, she shouldn't be eating those things in this in this environment, but you know, I'll, I'll leave that be. Um. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. I won't even dignify that with an answer. (laughs) Let's talk about the vaccines. Because there is a lot of skepticism when it comes to the vaccines. A lot of, I don't know if I should say mixed, because I don't know if they're right or wrong. Especially in the Black community, you see it a lot. What what have you been saying to reassure folks <laughs> regarding this and the safety? I mean, the, let, let's let's attack the myth first. There is a myth out there that this was this was just developed too quickly, and vaccines are not developed that quickly, so there must be something wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was developed quickly because we needed it urgently, right? So yeah. that speed wasn't necessarily because of less rigor. It meant people working you know, around the clock, collaborating science among different companies, among different research researchers. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it was built on years of research. So it's not just like this came out of the blue, the the vaccines have been built on, you know, tens, decades of experience on developing vaccines, period. But the same rigor has been applied to the vaccines that are currently available and the ones that are in development. And I can say that with confidence, like the science is solid. But I mean, the mistrust is real. We have to understand it. You know, some of it's it's historical, right? So the the Black community, we have like this history of being experimented on that was real and horrific, whether it be like gynecological procedures done to, Mm -hmm. to Black women in the United States just horrific things, uh, the Tuskegee experiments that lasted, you know, what, 40 years or, or however long, you know, just ridiculous amount of time. And then just also personal experiences. Like I think most people may have had some type of negative experience going to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I don't, th- I think like a lot of people have like negative associations with the medical community and it's based on, you know, real things. Um, but at the same time, the stakes could not be higher. You know, we we are dying at an uh, exponential rate, and the vaccine, if anything, should be for us. But the, I mean, if there's any like, how do you say it, reassurance, the most of the participants in the vaccine trials were white. So in this time around, <laughs> the people <laughs> they're the guinea pigs <laughs> experimented on were Caucasian. And that actually now is to our detriment, right? So a lot of yeah, medical... I was about to ask. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of medical research now, um, for for many different reasons, it, the primary subjects are white men, and I think most most black people would have have reservations about joining a clinical trial, but it may also be not offered to them as regularly. Um, so it could be both, but. That's the reality. 
Um, I think the Johnson and Johnson vaccine trial has more representation of the African American mm. community. So that's the one that's coming. That's currently relevant. It seems to be. I, I thought they said it was less effective. I mean, l- let's talk about that because I've heard that the <laughs> Pfizer one is like what all the doctors are getting and all the important people are getting, and that's what you yeah. get it for. You should try. I want the I want the one with the black woman. The other one. The, um... <laughs> right and so and it, it's apparently less effective against the south african strain yeah. so the the mrna vaccine so that includes moderna and pfizer um see uh so far seem to be effective against the new strains the the british strain and the south african one and from what we know, in the the newer one may be less effective, but still, it is it's still hopeful because, as you see, like the vaccine rollout is is just really sad, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not being um, we're not we're not reaching people, and the supply is low. So, so um. So yeah, I think that um, the Johnson and Johnson one is still exciting because you could just do one dose, right? So like the current vaccine, because it's two doses, you have to really register the patient. You have to track them. You have to make sure they can come back. You have to reserve mo- the right amount of vaccine for the first and make sure they can get the second. Mm-hmm. So it just requires, it may sound like very simple, but it's sad that like all the sophisticated science to develop them actually comes down to like very simple logistics that we are totally flunking on mm. and that applies so that applies to us but also worldwide like yes you know most of the world has no access to any of these vaccines it's the so-called like global south so like south south america the caribbean africa south asia they're still waiting you mm-hmm. know so and of course, this is this is a global issue. So, um, so the the a one dose vaccine would help a lot in terms of just like across the board distribution. Hmm. But the so the mistrust. The, so just go to go back to the mistrust. Like some of it's historical. Um, the speed, you know. Um, again, it's it's still applied. The same rigor is applied. But also there's political things. So like our we have to hold our politicians accountable in yes. terms of just like what they say. So when the former president was in power, there was a lot of things that created a lot of mistrust, whether it be about like, uh-huh. you know, sensationalizing hydroxychloroquine or claiming that the vaccine would be out, you know, like falsely claiming these things about the vaccine, which to me, actually created a lot of mistrust because I'm like, uh-huh. wait a second, why is this <laughs> coming out with the vaccine exactly when Trump asked for it? So, like, to me, you know, even, like, as someone who's, like, very educated on these topics, I, I had to question it. And then, of course, like, I think it was last year, Macron said something strange about, like, experimenting with vaccines in Africa first. Oh, yeah. Some French uh, doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, how you say it? There's, like, a lot of anti-science in politics and just ignorance that I think, like, from, like, a physician, but also science in general, I think we just have to learn to be 
more like available to the public and more open to just like debunking myths and just like being out there and accessible because I think for a while like doctors scientists kind of play like a back role and we see what's happening (laughs) Yeah, like I'm grateful to him I think he's been like a very like gracious uh I don't know public face of I think Mm -hmm. so I think he has created a lot of trust and hopefully you know him and more people like him will be available to debunk things so yeah and he himself has been the victim of you know some of these theories that people are talking about he created (laughs) it and you know we we yeah people just kind of mixing all kinds of stuff together and it's really that's the you know it's like that um i don't know if it's a meme where people are like yeah i don't trust your like medical degree i i i'm gonna rely on my facebook groups and my google searches it's not just it's just it's not just memes i was sitting in a again social media and somebody was this was actually a public health professional somebody degreed on the subject of you know global pandemics and there was somebody on there who kept challenging them at every point talking about I've done my own research I'm intelligent too I don't have to be degreed and I'm like somebody has <laughs> this person has sir. they've sat they've studied this you've got <laughs> what makes you think <laughs> you're better equipped to come and tell us like how this this works it's just very interesting it's not just a meme people are actually out here doing this yeah. and that and is so dangerous just, it's not just COVID though like that's a yeah. bigger thing within our our um societies and communities and some of it is personal experiences um and some of it's just I don't I don't know how we get over that like I'm willing to defer to Dr. K and others like her because I didn't go to medical school. I'm willing to defer to my mechanic because I don't know none of my cars. I just put the gas in there and it goes. <laughs> if a light turns on, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. I have to go somewhere to get it done. But we, um, especially in these kinds of spaces, I think that that's hard. But I have seen that the, the Fauci stuff and been like, so you'd rather believe that Fauci went to China and created <laughs> covid and then sp- like i i yeah i don't know what we do about the jumps in the logic um but also about um vaccine availability um m- maybe something that might help people to know is that there are the more privileged people are the ones trying to get it yes um even yeah. in the dc area i've heard i've yes. seen reports of people in montgomery county which is farmer white taking Peachy County, which is majority <gasps> black county, vaccines. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because the stuff is first come, first serve, or that's my understanding. Yeah. And so it's it is easier. I've also read reports about like hospitals where administrators get it and the nurses all, all doing are the on the floor so they can't sign up when the things open. And so by <laughs> the time it's time to sign up, there isn't anything left. So look. The haves are trying to get it. So I feel like people wouldn't be clamoring for it if it wasn't there. Um, so did want to, you know, put that out there. And thank you, Dr. K and those like you. I think we, you know, for pushing people to try and get it. It's like we're standing back and there's other people who have no problem taking the dose. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> Donating to the hospital and getting on, the, on that VIP list to get that uh, vaccine. Back up to right. watch. Why should we trust you, though? Have you taken the vaccine yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, no, you don't have to trust me. It's okay. But I did get the vaccine. I got both doses. And honestly, of the Pfizer. Yeah. I got the Pfizer. Yeah, I'm still alive. Nothing happened. My arm hurt for one day, and that was literally the only thing that only thing that I felt. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was I was excited. I thought it was a privilege to get it. Um, And I feel very privileged to get it. I did like hustle to get it. Like I was one of those people that was like constantly on the wait list. Like, hey, you know, you know, hey. So I do think that we should be all scrambling to get it. And I but of course, there are people who are more savvy as we see than others. And, you know, and there are I, I have colleagues um <laughs> colleagues like physicians and also nurses who are just like nah I'm gonna wait it out you know I'm gonna see I'm gonna watch how things go and so that mistrust even is like among health professionals um, how do you articulate your racial or ethnic identity Oh, well, where, 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 family, where your family? No, because I think it's people will ask. Oh, no, she took no, it. Was, <laughs> oh, that's true. Because I myself was like, why are you asking this now? No, <laughs> but there's a there's a reason. Because oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, my my ethnic identity is black and Persian. So my mom is African American. My dad is from Iran, and. That's it. But I would say it also includes a lot of different life experiences. So like I was born in in Togo in West Africa and lived there off and on during my childhood. So that and then I speak Spanish and phenotypically, I think a lot of people think that I'm Latina. So I I think I probably just confuse a lot of people. And honestly, I don't usually (laughs) give people I usually don't tell people what I am. I don't lead with anything like to make it any easier for you. And I don't want feel the need to really like check boxes, but I do feel strong in both my African American identity and my Persian identity. And I think, you know, my parents are very intentional about connecting me to both sides of my family. Thank you for answering that, Bunky. <laughs> Start something. <laughs> no, no, I was just confused. I was just no, like, because so... I, I are going to be like, oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> we didn't ask that question. Before. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for answering that. Just one last question. We know that the vaccine is not an immediate cure, and you know it may not be a just the fact that you've taken the vaccine does not may not mean that you may never get the virus. Kind of, what are some of the easy ways we could be safe for those of us who are waiting for the vaccine? For those of us who've already taken it, what are some of the things that we could be doing? Yeah, the the things are very simple, but it really adds up, right? So small decisions add up. And so even if even though I have been vaccinated, whether you've been vaccinated or not, um, still consistently wearing your mask over your nose, over your mouth. <laughs> I've seen our current president pulling it uh, under his nose a few times. And I've I'm seen just a like, lot of men that do that. And I'm like, bro. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, Drop yeah. less. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's cold, so you know, as, as soon as you do that, it's like, drop it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, social distancing and hand washing. Like, 
those are all things that are we will have to be consistent with for a long time um and then also like you your this idea of like a pod is important so like if you live if you have a family unit whatever it is be uh, keep in mind that your behavior is they're directly counting on your behavior and it's life and death thing so if you have you know a family unit and then you go to somebody else's house and don't wear a mask you're essentially mingling those two units and you've expanded your pod from five to ten right so whatever behavior one person's behavior of that one out of ten people is affecting all of those so yeah. if you keep if you do the math if you keep expanding your body and you just say oh i'm just gonna go visit this other person's house and now that's 15 people one out of 15 people one out of 15 people's behavior affects all those 15 right so your pod you still have to be very intentional about right now my pod is one <laughs> and i'm keeping it that way because i'm a healthcare professional and I know that, like, every day I might encounter someone who potentially has the virus. I don't have an N95. And that's the way it's going to be for the next eight months or however long this takes. So those are the things I think we still have to be consistent with. It's Unfortunately, there's no change in the science from what we understand. And then I do think, like, so there's that. But then I think we all all have to really start advocating and like pushing for changes in the way that everything is governed right so yeah. the fact that some people have health insurance and some people don't and more and more people are becoming less insured um over the last month or the last year right so that directly affects you if someone is less likely to seek care and uh, or less likely you know scared to go to a doctor's office or whatever that also affects you because they may have a delayed diagnosis um or if there's not paid leave like even so if you're if the mcdonald's worker is scared to take off because they can't pay the rent or they're, they're worried of they've already used their sick leave like that also affects you absolutely <laughs> you know get, so, more, than, get more than a big mac <laughs> yeah the, the popeyes work worker <laughs> yeah, well, yes, that's true. And true. then the work conditions at Popeyes or wherever, mm -hmm. or the chicken plant that provided the Popeyes, if yes. they are not protected, if they are not given like uh, work conditions where they have safe transport to the facility and at the facility is not socially distant, and again, they're not having paid leave, that affects you directly too. So, all these things add up i just think that we all should be educating ourselves about how this became so out of control in supposedly the most affluent developed mm -hmm. country in the world so yeah. all of us need to be questioning this and understanding it and hopefully advocating for a better like better health care better work conditions better life for everyone because in the end it affects you directly and i don't think that has anything to do with politics. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Yes. And then just be be kind to yourself. Like it's hard. Uh -huh. Like just make sure you're intentional about self care, like whatever that is, because that's also, you know, it may not have direct effect on COVID, but 
if you know if we all end up obese after this or <laughs> as i look at myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah or or just depressed and you know so i mean like that's a whole different thing is like working on self-care and i do think that you know some ways is is the unfortunate side effect of all of this just one other question speaking of self-care and the fact that you're in a part of one how are how are you doing (laughs) (laughs) self-care because i mean it must be hard (laughs) to be by yourself um and also you know at the forefront of this seeing how people are getting sick how are you taking care of yourself personally I'm not doing such a good job probably, but I would say like I've started to just like make sure to do some type of physical activity every day. I really miss dancing. So if you know anything about me, you know that I love dancing. And unfortunately that's like not advisable at this time. (laughs) So I've been, yeah. So, but yeah, I've just been trying to work out my family. We do like a, a, um, a FaceTime every day, which sounds like a lot, but literally, like, we just turn on the video and then go about your life for an hour and just, like, connect Aww. with everybody. Um, and that's really it. And then, like, ma- planning my escape, you know. So if everything, if if things keep going, I'm, I'm going to find somewhere else to move. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> like, outside the U.S. or to so another part of the U.S.? <laughs> Outside the U.S. Well, you have a kindred spirit in Bunky or something over there. Like, mom, Malaysia. Where are you Malaysia? New Zealand and Malaysia are like my dream. Mm. New Zealand, I've never actually been to, so I don't know. But they just seem like they have their stuff together. And then Malaysia, Malaysia is like beautiful tropical country. No monsoons, no tsunamis. Um, delicious food, Amazing really food. hard on the obes- obesity tip, and just like really <laughs> nice people, diverse. I mean, not, I mean, diverse ish. Just like you can walk around and nobody looks at you weird, even though you don't look like anyone else. So, but don't everybody rush to Malaysia. I asked all the questions. I was like, so tsunamis? My friend was like, no, no, we don't have them here because of our geographical location. Like, she gets like tropical birds in her backyard, y'all. Like these colorful. I'm like, how is this your life? It's so beautiful. Yeah, can't there say. Are such birds in, in the United States. I see one right now. In Mer. What? Girl, get out of here. I'm talking about bird right bird. now. I'm talking about tropical. <laughs> I see <laughs> a tropical blue. bird right now. I ain't this talking about like blue jays. A, a blue, a blue and red, a blue and red bird. I'm seeing it right no, now. No, I'm talking about orange and yellow birds that just kind of sit on her you know fence and then fly away and no you can't you, you, you just can't sorry <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us um all the tidbits and advice and information you provided for us yes and i, I want to say thank you this is a lot in in the persian way which is what i know the one oh. i don't know if i said it like correctly yeah <laughs> I heard that I sound bad. I sound like a foreigner when I say it, but I wanted it. No, that's awesome. Nusha John. Nusha John. My pleasure. (laughs) But why are you making an assumption that she she knows how to speak? (laughs) You asked, she she said she's very much into her culture. So I figured that she knew that one phrase. If I know it, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Come on, Nance. Come on. <laughs> well, thank you guys for doing what you're doing. Keep it up. So it's good to play, like just creating spaces where people can have conversations and is the most important thing. And, you know, especially in like such a polarized time. So keep up the good work. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank yeah. you. Stay safe. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Ow. Yeah.